So, we're in this Colossian sermon series. We're going through the book of Colossians, verse by verse. We've already covered the first couple chapters. We're starting chapter 3. If you haven't heard any of those messages or you've missed a message, causechurch.com is another good place to go. You can hear all of those messages there. There are four that we've already done. This is the fifth message. Next week, we'll conclude this sermon series in Colossians. So Colossians kind of goes like this. There's kind of a cycle that Paul goes through while he is uh, writing to the church in Colossae. Colossae was a town. It was in a valley. Uh, got its name because when we think of the word Colossae, I'm sure my mind goes to the word Colosseum, which is usually some big, uh, just uh, rocky-looking things, and that's what was up in Colossae. There were some rock structures. Agriculture was big. They had an army or a military road that kind of ran alongside of the town. They also had pretty recently had a gentleman start the church within their city. So Paul had never been to Colossae. At this time, Paul is in prison as he writes to Colossae, and he is encouraging them, he is challenging them, and he is saying, this is what it looks like for the church to live together in harmony and in unity, and this is what it looks like for you to go out and share the message of hope to the world. So typically, this is what Paul does. He gives some type of knowledge about how to live, then he ties it into how we can apply it to our lives and how it could affect our lives. Then he challenges us to respond to that knowledge and to that challenge. And then he says, if you do these things, you will bear good fruit in your lives. There will be, there will be positive things that come from the way you live your life. And we also know on the other side of that, if we are sowing things that don't honor God, we are going to reap and bear fruit that stinks and is yucky and actually helps darkness grow rather than light. We want to be people who live lives because we've heard from the Word of God, we see how it can be applied to our lives, we respond to it, and then we live a life that shows the world Jesus and it bears fruit in everything we say, and in everything we do. And while that happens, that process almost kind of sounds like E3. That process means each of us are learning to know God better personally, and we're living out how he has created us, the purpose we have, and then bigger than that, we're living it out as the family of God. It's kind of a cycle. So we're going to do that again. If you want to follow along, if you have your Bible, or if you have your app on the phone, you can. It's Colossians 3. If not, the scriptures will be up on the screen. First point I want to make today is a new perspective on life. Paul says these words, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. This helps me kind of be reminded of what Jesus said, how we should pray. So we know that Jesus was born. He walked this earth, set a tremendous example of what it looks like to live a life of grace and truth. He died on the cross, resurrected, 
And we know now he sits at the right hand of God, a place of honor. We also know that he intercedes on our behalf, which is awesome. But we know that Jesus said, pray these words. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we learn quickly that there is something different with a mindset about the things of heaven compared to a mindset with the things of the world, with the things of the earth. Jesus encourages us to pray the things that would bring fruit in our lives, that would show the world how amazing it is to live for God, look completely different than getting caught up in earthly things. We're promised that if we die to ourselves now, we are going to live life in a way that we couldn't imagine here on earth, and then especially when we spend eternity with God. We are part of this incredible mystery when we become the adopted sons and daughters of God. And at one time, this whole story of faith, this whole story of God will be revealed in a way that everyone knows it is the absolute truth. And if we have took a step of faith to say, God, I'm your kid, and I'm going to live for you, we are part of that incredible revealing, and we get to participate in the beauty of what it looks like when Jesus is revealed in all of his glory. So basically what it's saying is, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, we hear these words, Therefore, if anyone is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. There's a different perspective. And Paul is going to lay out these two different perspectives for us in these next few verses. This first chunk of scripture, starting at verse 5, it lays out some things that we have to deal with, some stuff we have to deal with. It says to this, says, to, says this, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. There is some stuff in these verses that you and I need to deal with. There are some things that are talked about. Immorality. Impurity. There are some things like evil desires and lust and greed and idolatry. Those types of things show us that in our lives we can be drawn to things that don't honor God. We can be drawn to immoral things, impure things. We can be drawn to things that are evil. Greed can be something that leads us astray. And ultimately, if we buy into these things, they can become idols in our lives. Every single one of us wrestles with these evil desires. No one gets away from it. 
I started wrestling with some of these types of evil desires before I even knew what some of the stuff was. And it's been a battle. Part of the addictive tendencies that I have are some of these things that I just read. And I find myself on a daily basis having to remind myself, do I live with a heavenly mindset or do I live with an earthly mindset? Because if I live with an earthly mindset, I can promise you I'm going to find myself in places that do not honor God. And when I say places, I mean situations, circumstances. I'm going to let my mind go places it shouldn't go. I'm going to go down these paths, these, these little trails that I know if I see the trail and I don't go straight, and I don't go straight quickly, I'm going to be in trouble. So the question is this. Of those lists of things, immorality, impurity, these earthly things that are lurking within us and around us, lust and evil desires, greed, anger, rage, behavior that is purposely malicious, slander, dirty language, gossip, talking about people. When you read that list, I want to ask you this question, because I have to do it every day. Where do I find myself on that list? What are the things in my life that I struggle with? that lead me to wrestle with anger, to wrestle with behavior that may be malicious, to wrestle with greed and idolatry and having things that just become more important than my relationship with God. Where do you find yourself on that list? What are the things that happen in your lives that you know are not God-honoring, and you're tempted, and you struggle, and if you're reminded of your past, you know you lived out some of these things, and when the enemy reminds you and tries to convince you, this is who you are, this is what you should do, where do you find yourself on that list? If you say you can't find yourself on that list, I think you're full of it, just to be honest. Because it comes all the way down to don't lie. Don't be angry. Man, I get angry every day. Or at least have situations that give me an opportunity to go from zero to a hundred in a half a second. I was hanging out with somebody and we were talking about a relationship they used to have. And we, I made a comment, and the person said, oh, if that's happening to them, I'd be happy. Uh-oh. That's a little malicious behavior. Have you ever thought, you know what? If so-and-so gets what they have coming to them, even if they deserve what you think they should have come to them, that's not a heavenly perspective. That's an earthly perspective. If you find yourself getting angry a lot, then I can promise you there's some underlying stuff that is causing you to walk into that sin. And it says because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Now if we read that, we may say the anger of God is coming to me. But we have to remember 
that God is no longer angry at us. God's anger is truly directed at what Paul talked about last week, which is the spiritual forces of darkness that embody this evil that have set themselves up against God, against Jesus, against the Holy Spirit, and against heaven, and they are warring against us daily. If you struggle with thoughts, even even your actions right now, just walk right into those thoughts, and you wonder, where do these thoughts come from? Why am I struggling with this? This is not who I want to be. Then evil has set itself up against you. And so many times in my life, evil sounds so much like God because evil is deception. Satan is a deceiver. And some of the stuff that I know pops into my head, if it comes anywhere close, would make you go, how do I even walk into a church? How would I even believe that God can use me? Or what's going on here? And that's the enemy. He's sending fiery darts. That's what the Bible says. To discourage you. To deceive you. To distract you. Basically, to make us quit. And that is a battle that rages every single day. So, where do you find yourself on the list? Well, I don't know. I don't even know what some of that stuff means. Well, some of this stuff means things like fornication, perversion, uncontrollable passion, craving something that is evil, coveting. That's where greed can come in. And then ultimately, when we find satisfaction in earthly things more than we find satisfaction in our relationship with God, then we are understanding what idolatry looks like. I think the Bible tells us that one of the most difficult things that we wrestle with in our lives are our finances, are our money. Is our money. (laughs) And why is that? Because greed and idolatry, man, it screams right at those types of things, those decisions. Like, Should I go to the joy box? Should I go to the kiosk? Should I get this next earthly thing that I think will bring me contentment and peace and joy? And I know I've already done that in my life over and over and over. And eventually the shininess rubs off of whatever it is. It just runs out and then I have to do the next thing. When we are finding our satisfaction in things other than what God has called us to do, those things never, ever fulfill what we need. Anger. The word used in this scripture is a word that can be translated a chronic attitude of smoldering hatred. Rage. Those are acute outbursts, the word used. Fits of rage. They are these bursts of anger that cause us just to do things that we know are not good. Malice is slander. It's a vice that lies below anger and rage, and it brings up these types of things where we almost speak earthly evil things over the lives of others. 
filthy language, a shameful or abrasive speech. The idea of lying, not being truthful. Those are all things that fall into this idea that there is stuff we have to deal with. So if we're wondering when Paul says, keep our mind on heavenly things compared to these earthly things, we can look at this list and we can get an idea of what it looks like to live in an earthly way where our fruit is not going to produce much good. Actually, it produces great harm to ourselves individually, to other people, and it never leads to a freedom that when we have our mind on heavenly things, we can experience. So this new perspective is a challenge to keep our mind on heavenly things. Now what does that look like? We're going to start to see over these next few verses. First, since there are these different perspectives, and we just looked at what the earthly perspective looks like, let's start to look at what a heavenly perspective would look like and what a new nature for us would look like. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. We have to make a decision to get rid of and to take off those earthly things, but then we have to put on this new nature. And it tells us once we meet and learn of our Creator and experience a relationship with Him, we're going to become like Him over a process. It's going to happen the rest of our lives. And there's some important words here that are listed because it doesn't matter if you are such and such, such and such, such and such. And all of these are barriers that Christ has destroyed. Every single one of us, when we come to Jesus, are created equal. We are new. We have a new nature. So it's expected that each of us, regardless of our nationality, any type of religion that we've had in the past, culture, or even economic standing should do away with their former sinful practices and should live in accord with our new self, with our new nature. I love this because it doesn't matter at all about our past. It doesn't matter at all where we were born. It doesn't matter right now what our history was within the idea of religion, even, even if we were swayed by some of those human philosophies and the reasoning that we heard about, even if that list we've just read, you said, Ooh, I've agreed with about all of that at some point in time, and I'm not sure it wasn't much longer than this morning on my way to church. Well, the good thing is, is that we are created equal. Our sin is no greater or less than everyone else's sin. I can guarantee you most of us can just go to the bottom of that list and we can just talk about anger, rage, 
probably greed and lying, and every single one of us find ourselves somewhere, which means we have been separated from God, and we need healing, and we need hope. And the beautiful thing is, is when we come to Jesus, he doesn't ask for that list. He takes the list, tears it up, throws it away, and says, that is not who you are anymore. And there's no piece of our past There's no piece of whatever culture looks like. There's no amount of money or economic standing that keeps us from experiencing this new nature. I love that. But I also think it's one of the hardest things for us. It is literally one of the hardest things for us to live that out. To live the idea that when someone comes to Jesus, they are completely new, and they begin a process like we are walking through to be transformed. And it doesn't matter at all about who they were before they've received this new nature. And when we receive a new nature, we are all on equal standing when it comes to God gifting us, when it comes to God giving us a purpose, and when it comes to being messengers and ambassadors of the message of Jesus. There's really nothing special about any of us that stand up here, other than the fact that our gifting puts us here. But every single one of us, when we meet Jesus and confess Him as our Lord and Savior, And when we're filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit, we have everything within us that we need to go out and be a messenger. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Doesn't matter if you grew up in good circumstances or bad circumstances. Doesn't mean if at some point you made a decision to worship the devil before you met Jesus. It doesn't matter. What matters is you agree to walk in this relationship of transformation. So many of us think that we're not there yet to be able to share the message of hope. Well, I can promise you, I'm not there yet either to even stand up here all the time. There's plenty of times I get up here on a Sunday and I'm tired and weary and discouraged. So many times I think the messages I preach are right to myself and you're listening to a conversation with God and some of you go, oh, I'll grab that piece because I can relate to that. And I think one of the lies the enemy will whisper to us is you got to become just a little bit better. Things at home got to be just a little bit better. If you get your self cleaned up just a little bit better, then you could finally let people see Jesus in you. It's just not how it works. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are new. You have a new perspective on life. You have the ability to walk away or run away from the things that were on that list of earthly stuff. And every time we make a decision to run away, our confidence in living for Jesus and the freedom that we experience empowers us to keep going on and on and on. Do you believe that there is nothing that can separate you 
from the love of God to the point that that new nature is available for all of us right now in every single moment. That's what it's about. There's no barriers. And if there's ever been a barrier put up, Jesus destroys them. So in this church, we desire to never have a barrier for anyone to walk in the front door. In my life, I desire to never have a barrier that will put someone across the table from me so that I can begin to build a relationship with them and do life with them. And sometimes that means people across the table are people I've hurt, are people who have hurt me. Maybe it's someone I don't even know. Maybe it's someone who I typically wouldn't reach out to. But when I get the perspective of my new nature that Jesus is big enough to rescue anyone, no matter what barriers there are, I want to be a barrier destroyer just like him. And all of us are called to that. All of us are called to that. So what does this new nature look like? What do we need to put on? It says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This tender sympathy, this tender mercy. The word used is something that goes beyond the normal expression of love. It goes beyond what we would maybe normally do for someone. Kindness, humility. When we think about humility, we talked about that a lot in our sermon series a couple months ago where we realized that being poor in spirit, being in humble, just means that we've recognized our need for Jesus, which should then help us recognize other people's need for Jesus. It's us having an attitude, a lowly attitude that knows we have to look to God to be empowered. It doesn't mean that we're weak. It doesn't mean that we're feeble. It doesn't mean that we don't have enough. It just means that we know where everything that helps us live a life to honor God comes from. This word patience. We are called to be patient with others. I love this. The word is defined as a self-restraint, a steady response in the face of provocation. And in that, that's where the word patience that is used is birthed out of. We are supposed to be patient and have a steady spirit even when we're provoked. Even when we have opportunities for those earthly things to jump out of us. Anger, rage, an outburst. I guarantee you there are people in our lives that if they could see us put on this piece of our new nature and we become patient with them, they're going to see a different type 
of fruit in our lives? What relationship in your life right now could you use that self-restraint in? What relationship in your life right now would look completely different if you had a steady response with those things like a tender mercy and a humility and a gentleness and kindness? What would that relationship look like if your response, no matter how you were provoked, started to look like that? That's powerful. And that's part of our new nature. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. We have to remember how God has forgiven us and that shows us how to forgive others. And that's how barriers are broken. Last week we looked at scripture that told us even with a new believer or a young believer, don't argue with them about what's right or wrong. We're told in Scripture that God will judge the world. We're supposed to love the world. That challenges our thinking. We've kind of been told within church culture that we have the answers to save the world. And those answers always are what it looks like on the outside. Rather than a transformation from the inside. We always feel if we could just fix a couple things in ourselves or in someone else. And if that would make our outside look better, then we're going to be okay. But this new nature doesn't start on the outside. It starts on the inside with the transformation of your heart and with the renewal of your mind. And then it just feeds to the outside. The outside will never be cleaned up in any type of manner if it's just our own will and our own strength. But we will be transformed when our new nature emerges from a new heart and a new mind. How are you walking out a life of forgiveness? How are we creating area so that we can walk with people even when we see their faults and they see our faults and bigger than that how are we forgiving people who have offended us is it a response with great restraint is it steady in the things that the new nature looks like are we still just living out the way we've always dealt with things If we want to see our life transformed, our relationships transformed, and we want to see the fruit of this new nature, we have to live differently. We have to love the world differently. Here are three powerful essentials of this new nature, and I think they're the hardest things for us. It says, above all, clothe yourself with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. These powerful essentials are what can help us live a life of love 
peace, and thankfulness. God is love. Jesus embodied that love while he walked here on the earth, and he demonstrated that love by dying and rising again for us. God showed us his love by creating us in his image. God's love is what can change us. Are we clothing ourselves with that love? Are we clothing ourselves with the love that allows us to look at the world and say that the love that we know that is part of this bigger story can bind us together in a harmony that allows us to show the world God's hope? Is peace that comes from Jesus ruling our hearts? If those things are happening, then we're going to find ourselves living at peace with each other. And because of that peace that we have with each other, it's going to spur us on to love people who are living in darkness. And always be thankful. Always be thankful. Do you have a spirit of gratitude? This is the one I think I struggle with so much. So many days before I even get out of bed, I'm already bombarded just with the things, the stress of life. And I think so many times the enemy's first tactic is remind me what I think I don't have, which prevents me from being thankful. And when I don't feel thankful, then I can tell you this, I just become more frustrated as the day goes on And then I can let that roll into the next day. And then eventually you start to get a really angry Josh. You get a selfish Josh. You get a Josh that then starts to entertain the thoughts that pop in my head rather than kick them out of my head. And then all of the sudden these things like love and peace are not even on the radar screen. And instead, the enemy has said, you have nothing to be thankful for. You're still a piece of crap. And there's no hope. And the more I agree with those things, the less I experience love, the less I experience peace, and definitely I'm not sitting in contentment being thankful for all that God has done. Especially being thankful for the things that God has carried me through when I didn't even know I was walking through them. His faithfulness, His grace and His truth carrying us through. We have to begin to allow God's love to make us into people that live out these essentials. I know in every relationship I have, when I determine to agree with God's spirit that lives in me and I clothe myself with these things every single relationship that I have starting with my wife and my kids filtering out in church and in the community it is more loving it is more peaceful and I find myself more grateful for what is happening and the only problem with that equation is me not God 
It's never been God. It's Josh deciding what I'm putting on, what I'm wearing, and how what I put on and what I wear is going to determine what my life looks like and the fruit that comes from that. If you're angry, it's you. If you're frustrated, it's you. If you're being reminded of your past and it's keeping you from being free, it's me. Why? Because if I believe Scripture, the past is the past. And when I'm reminded of it and when I agree with it, it's me. When the enemy reminds me of the hurtful, sad things in my life and I allow that to determine the next step I take, I've agreed with that earthly lie rather than the truth that is birthed from heaven. Now don't get me wrong. We have very difficult things that many of us have been through. And I don't mean that we all of a sudden just like, okay, but we can make the choice that, you know what, if I am constantly being berated about my past, that is not God. If I'm constantly being reminded about my sin, that's not God. If I'm constantly being reminded that, oh, you thought you fixed that relationship or you thought you moved on, that's not God. That's condemnation. We want to experience God's conviction, which leads to us being refined and living more like him. And I can tell you this, the reason the enemy reminds me of those things is because he knows I have not walked through the process of complete healing in those things. And sometimes I choose not to because it's just going to hurt too much for a minute. And instead, all these little things that are tied to it are what I choose to believe more than in the freedom. These essentials are things I have to remind myself God makes available every day and I have to choose to live them out in my life. What do the words love, peace, and thankfulness look like in our lives? They should truly be the illuminated lights that are flashing and when people meet us, those things should be evident because if they are, then we're putting the right stuff on. And God desires for us to wear our new nature. Last two scriptures. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We can be filled and poured out. We can be filled and poured out. We can be filled and poured out. And the truth of the matter is the battle every day 
is do I get filled with heavenly things or do I get filled with earthly things? Because I bet if you think about what happens, depending on what you agree with, you know what the fruit looks like in your individual life. And I guarantee you we all want to be filled with heavenly things that allow us to smell like Jesus to the world and that we live with love and peace and thankfulness in our hearts. We're encouraged to counsel each other with wisdom. We're encouraged to sing together. Songs that remind us of God's goodness, but also remind us of how He will use us and how He is good. And we're encouraged to think about this. That whatever we do or say either makes us a representative of the Lord Jesus and shows His love and peace and gratitude to the world or it does something different. I love this. There's no sacred secular split in God's eyes. He's sovereign over all. Whether in word or deed, everything we should do should be done in the name of the Lord and with a thankful spirit. The earth is the earth. The people that God has created and put on it are people that He has a desire to have a relationship with. Those of us who are here on this earth who know what that relationship looks like need to be filled and poured out. And we need to know this. We have to be done thinking this is a church thing and this is a world thing. I'm safe in this church thing. I'm scared to death of this world thing. Instead, we live like Jesus, being in the world but not of the world and sharing this love, peace, and thankfulness with every word that comes out of our mouth and every action that we take. I'll just tell you the straight up truth. Dalton, I'm selling us out. Dalton and I, I picked him up at 7.30. We were preparing by getting a whole bunch of stuff and we, we were just being stupid. Well, what do you mean you're being stupid? We were talking about stupid stuff. Things that We've never, ever even talked about. And it was one little thing I said, and then it was just, oh, I can one-up that. I'll one-up that. I'll one-up that. Things I would never say in this pulpit. Things I would never say at home. And we looked at each other, what are we doing? He said, you better knock it off or someone's going to slip. And it's funny. That's never, ever, ever, ever happened to us, but yet it's the precursor to what happens during this message. Filthy language. Dalton, was it filthy language? Yes or no? It was bad. <laughs> and when I left here to go home and take a shower and come back, conviction. And then I'm like, should I buy into condemnation? Maybe I need to call and say I puked at home. Someone grab my iPad and go up there and read the scripture and just make the points. No. It was like, hey, Josh, you bought in to a lie when you made that first comment. And then instead of saying, oh, man, we got to drop this. That was dumb. 
You just said, oh well, let it roll. And see, there's a lot of things in our lives, words or deeds, that we go, oh well, and we let it roll. And before we know it, we find ourselves defeated and discouraged, and the enemy is trying to condemn us. And you know what God said? I just want to hear you understand that it was wrong and you won't do it again. Gotcha. And then grace comes. So I think about all the hours I've spent with Dalton and half of one hour got away from us. So does that mean I should stop hanging out with Dalton? Does that mean that we chuck everything in our relationship that has led us both to healthier places? in our relationships with God? No. So then why do we do that about so much of what our relationship with God looks like? Instead of living defeated and discouraged lives because of a small portion of our life or a small misstep while we know Jesus, let's look at the totality of our lives and how we are transformed and renewed and let's be reminded of God's goodness and how he is working in us. And we, in word and deed, can show the world his love and his peace and his hope. Let's pray. God.